Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let us bow our hearts and heads in silent preparation for worship. Let us pray. As we gather this morning, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your special providence towards us, that we are able to have this day off, God, uh, that we can have a room with air conditioning, Lord, that we can have a roof over our head, and that we can hear your word preached to us and sing praises and psalms before you. We pray for your spirit to be with us in special measure on this, your day, Lord, and this time of worship before you, God, uh, to bow our hearts and to submit to your word, Lord Jesus, and to stand in awe of the grace, the unmerited favor bestowed upon us. We pray, Lord Jesus, these things in accordance to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We who are your people called by your name, we are thankful, God, for again another day in which we can come in your presence and we can be with the saints of the Lord. We thank you for your spirit upon us, God, uh, that we live a life of repentance and faith in you. With power on high, although we feel weak and feeble, Lord, we know that you are with us and there's not the, the strength of our faith, Lord, but the strength of our Savior that keeps us on our way to heaven. Lord God above, we pray for your goodness to continue, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, your goodness bestowed upon us, to be sure, but upon everyone across this world. Will you give rain for the just and unjust, Lord, good things in this world, but we know, Lord, it's given to them for the repentance, to call them, Lord, from the rebellion. So we pray that that would be the case, that their hearts would be softened, God, that they would not use uh, the goodness of your providence, Lord, the prosperity of their life as an excuse to flee from you, Lord, but rather as any, as yet another reason to bow their knees and to submit to you and to follow Jesus Christ. We, Lord, as your people, still sin and struggle with our sins and thoughts and in word and in deed. And so we pray for your mercies upon us. We pray, Lord, for our sins to flee from them, Lord, to be aware of them, God, to read your word and to listen to the word preached and to talk to one another and admonish one another, Lord, so that we may fight the world, the flesh, and the devil and not give in to temptations and lies and excuses, Lord, that so easily beset us at times. Help us to stay strong and firm through the gospel promise, Lord, of our sanctification, to be more like Jesus, we pray. We ask, Lord, for our families to stand firm in this day and age that hates families, that tries to do everything but to start a family, and to, uh, Lord, be fruitful and multiply across the face of the earth as they have been called to do. And God, we pray that our families, Lord, will continue to grow in love for one another, that the wives will submit to the husbands, the husbands will love their wives and lead their families, Lord, and protect them from the evils of this world as best they can. Not in isolation, Lord, but knowing that they need other Christian families. Yea, Lord, the Church of Jesus Christ to help them and support them in their job as well. We pray for our children, Lord, that they would be protected from the lies of the world and from uh, lies and false education, Lord, and indoctrinations from those who hate you and hate your church. Protect them, we pray, that they may continue to learn the truth, Lord, and to replace ignorance with instruction in the Word of God, and also, Lord, the things needful to grow up in our society. Watch over them, we pray, again, that their peer pressure would be from the Church of God, positive peer pressure from those around them and those who love them, God. Watch over them, we pray. 
Watch over our families and our extended families, Lord, our grandparents and our uncles and nieces that are near us, we pray, that we would, uh, again, show them love and kindness and think of them and do what we can to help them, Lord. We pray especially for those who are not Christians, God, that you would save them through our witness, through our testimony, through our life, Lord, through our words, although we feel so inadequate. Help us, we pray to that end, God, to persevere in talking to them, in praying for them, those who are not saved. We pray for our friends who are not Christians either, Lord, that they would see their need of a Savior, their need of repentance, their need to flee the sins of this world and of this age, God, and to embrace Christ Jesus, embrace salvation. We ask, God, that again, our feeble efforts will be used by your Spirit to bring them to you. We pray, God, for one another as Christians, Christian friends, Christian family members, that we would grow into Christ-likeness, that we would mature, God, uh, that we would instruct one another in the word of the Lord as we are called, Lord, and our stations in life with humility, uh, knowing that we're not certainly called to be pastors, God, but there are times in which we must rebuke, even there on the spot. May we do so with love, and may we receive such rebuke, Lord, from one another as friends and as part of the family of God. That we, Lord, would know that you've given us one another, in your word especially, that we may grow thereby to be more like Jesus, uh, to handle the things of this world, Lord, in a proper Christian manner, we pray. We ask, God, that you'd be with those who are members of our church and those who are Christians, whoever they may be, Lord, from other churches across this nation who are in the military, the police and emergency responders and medical fields, God, that you would be with them. They have a difficult job before them, Lord, uh, hard hours often, and they see, as we see in the case of part of the military and police and, and the hospitals as well, Lord, they see terrible things. They see what men do to each other. They see the extents of depravity and of wickedness of mankind, God, and we pray that they would not be discouraged, Lord, but rather persevere, that they would use such opportunities to tell them of Jesus Christ and how this is not normal or natural. It's not because of evolution. Uh, but rather because of the fall of Adam, Lord, and our continued persistence in sin as, uh, as, as humanity, God, that we see ourselves needing a military or police or medical. And so, Lord, we pray in particular for Simon and others, Lord, and for Tolly and his basic training, uh, and they're working in the military, God, that you would protect them and watch over them, help them find a good chaplains, Lord, and barring that, like God, that they would be strong in the Lord and read your word and pray and Seek out other Christians. Uh, use the internet if possible, God. We have recorded sermons. There are other sermons out there, Lord, on sermon audio. And we ask, God, that they would persevere in their jobs and do well in them. Give them wisdom and insight, God, to understand uh, their supervisor's temperament and their co-workers, God, that they would not be sucked into lies, uh, into a terrible way of living, God, and to know what they can do uh, to be a good worker, Lord, and to avoid trouble in the military. Our Lord and Savior, we pray for those who are traveling, God, uh, Andrew and others. And of course, uh, Lord, our hearts go out to the coppices who will be leaving uh, this week uh, for a new chapter in their life. Lord Jesus, be with them, we pray. Be with all of us, we ask that you protect us, both body and soul. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We indeed praise God above for the many blessings you bestowed upon us and for our opportunity to give back some of those blessings to the work of the kingdom of God and to help those in need. Bless them, we pray. Amen. Ten Commandments are inside uh, the hymnal. Let us read them together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. 
You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to our Bibles, to 2 Timothy 3.14. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. With these words, God Almighty, we ask that we be encouraged to continue to take the Word of God seriously, to read your Bible, yes, Lord, to memorize it and to apply it in our lives. May this sermon, Lord, encourage us to stand firm in a day and age of growing apostasy and hatred of the Word of God, and that we, Lord, would imbibe upon your Word and call out for your Spirit to be upon us, Lord, that we may learn thereby and grow in holiness and knowledge of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the rules of teaching is this. Never forget the basics. It's good to go over the basics. Of course, the other axiom of instruction is repetition is the mother of learning. Put those two together and good things happen, I hope. Since we live in a time of increasing darkness, brothers and sisters, we need the light of God's word to shine more clearly upon us. You do that through family worship throughout the week, reading the Word of God, singing His Word, and praying in accordance to His Word. And the church helps you with a pastor who preaches on Sunday. And being here is a big step in that regard, and growing in knowledge and maturation as a Christian, and growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This, indeed, in other words, is a refresher course. The Bible, who God is, what is sin, what is salvation, what is the church. 
This is good to go over now and then for the people of God and to apply anew to the circumstances we find ourselves in. And so here, at the beginning of this short series, we are going over the Bible, the Word of God, which is how the Shorter Catechism uh, and the like starts unpacking these truths. To glorify God is our goal, but we learn about glorifying God in the Bible. And it talks about who God is and the like. So we have to know the Word of God to know who our Lord and Savior is. So we have these points here. The Bible is the Word of God is the first point. The Bible is God's Word. It's the inspiration doctrine we've heard of, the doctrine of inspiration. And it's here from verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Or you can translate that God breathed. God breathed. If God had a mouth, His Word would be what we have here, bouncing upon our ears. But He's not a man. He does not have a mouth. Rather, he has worked, as we know, through the mouths of others, through the pens of others, and given us the word of God in his providence. To be God-breathed, as we read in this text, is an important doctrine. It tells us this is not merely a book written by men, although men did write the book, but they were men inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, and directed such that what we have is his word as though he spoke from heaven right now. We do not need prophets. We do not need apostles today. We have the word of God finished and inscripturated right here, brothers and sisters. And this reminds us that it's from him and no one else. If we wish to learn about God, if we wish to grow and be more like God, we must listen to his word, the Bible. It is God-breathed. It is coming from him. First Peter one twenty one, as you recall a few weeks ago, as I'm going through the book of Peter, now pushed to the afternoon for a bit. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's important. We talk about the Constitution in America and how seriously we take the Constitution and the laws of the land. This is the will of the people, we say, as though that is the ultimate matter before us. If the people have spoken, we must obey and listen. Of course, we don't really believe that rhetoric. We know there are limits and that men are fallible and make mistakes, but not our God. We've changed the Constitution. They're called amendments. cannot and should not change the Word of God, which is the church's Constitution, but comes from God himself. And so cannot and should not be changed at all. It is, therefore, because it is God-breathed from him and him alone. It is the foundation of the Christian life. We cannot hear God's good news in any other way than the Bible. You can learn about God as judge without the Bible. That's true. Romans 1.18, as you recall, tells us that. Tells us that they know there's a God, and they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There are no atheists. That he is a judge, and he's coming upon them, and they are sinners, and they quake before him. But you do not learn about the good news of Jesus Christ, of grace and redemption, except in the Bible. What we have in the Bible is real, because it is from God. It is God-breathed. If it's not God-breathed, we have nothing to go to. We have nothing to appeal to. We have no more religion. And so we must have the Bible. This is where we learn about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is where we learn about moral living. This is where we learn about the church and what it means to be a church family. This is where we learn about redemption, justification, and sanctification. And it's all of the Bible. Not just pieces of the Bible are God-inspired. Not just the, the red ink that many Bibles have of the words of Jesus that may be helpful, but it can also be distracting, of course. That's not more special than other parts. 
It's all God breathed. And it's all relevant for us. As you recall, Jesus quotes the Psalms. Jesus quotes Genesis. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, the book of the law. That's significant, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, listen to me, I am God in the flesh. Start writing down new parts of the Bible. Now that does happen. We have the Gospels. And he does say things. But often, what does he do? He quotes the Bible. That tells you how serious the authority of the Word of God is. When he was tempted in the wilderness, what did he do? Did he say, I'm quoting myself and I'm going to... No, he says, he quotes the Word of God. You shall not live by bread alone. If Jesus is going to quote the Bible, if Jesus is using the Bible as authority, taking it seriously, that shows us how serious it must be for our lives, brothers and sisters. The Word of God. To know it, it is the foundation, and it's all of the Word of God, not just parts and pieces of it. Paul quotes vast portions from the Old Testament. Peter quotes vast portions of the Old Testament. Sure, they they quote Christ, Christ as well, but not just Christ, also other parts of the Old Testament, on par with the words of Christ himself in terms of authority, because it's God-breathed, all of it. And it's without error. It's the very words of God, and God is not going to make a mistake. Man cannot trip him up. If our view of God is such that we're not sure we have the word of God here because, you know, a guy wrote it down one time several thousand years ago, and that guy just decided one day, you know, I've got free will, I'm going to exercise it, I'm just not going to write things down. People teach that. That is, they teach doctrines that would lead to that conclusion. And I'm thankful they don't really believe that. They believe they have the word of God. There's no mistakes here. It's without error, and it's morally binding. Right? All scripture is given by inspiration. It's here for you. Just saying it's God breathes is sufficient. It's like having a prophet speak to us here, but in written form. And it's there for us to grow thereby that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's a good work? It's a moral activity. The Bible is there to direct us in moral activities, every moral activity, and therefore it's morally binding. We have the Bible for us. It's here to teach us of God. It's here to teach us of sin. It's here to teach us of salvation. And it's from Him and Him alone. And so we can have all confidence, brothers and sisters, in what we have before us and to grow thereby. So I'll cover a few things that we can learn from the Bible, the two uh, broad areas here from the text itself. The Bible is for salvation, and the Bible is profitable. I'm using the words of the text, but the second part is it's profitable for living. That is, it gives us the law. It's the gospel and it's the law. It gives us the good news and it gives us moral direction. That's what I'm talking about here. We get this from the text itself, verses 14 to 15, and the second point here. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Paul is explaining to Timothy, a young pastor, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for what? Better living? Well, that's true. We'll get that in verses 16 and 17. Here, this particular verse is wise for salvation, faith in Christ Jesus. It teaches us how to be saved. We can't get that from anywhere else. Not from psychologists, sociologists, political experts, military experts, any other man or anybody, even a pastor. If the pastor is not proclaiming the word of God and salvation therein, you are not hearing about salvation. The Bible is God's word, and God's word tells us how to be saved, and how to live. This second point is how to be saved. It is for salvation. It is for the gospel. It teaches us the good news. And he knew it from childhood. Timothy, as you recall, is a good Jew, grew up under the Old Testament era. Christ had not come in the flesh yet. The, the apostles were not called yet. 
There was no New Testament. Isn't that weird? Can you imagine that? So here's the good news from the Apostle Paul and others, and he becomes a creator of the New Testament, as it were, a part of the process of the New Testament. Paul is convinced, nevertheless, even without the New Testament, he learns about the salvation of faith in Jesus Christ. That is, salvation in the New Testament is the same as salvation in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters. They weren't saved differently. One's at the back door. They were not saved differently. Think about it. From childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures. That is, the Old Testament, which is able to make you wise for salvation. You didn't need the New Testament to be saved. What the New Testament does is give us a fuller revelation of who Christ is and greater sanctification and maturity and more grace. But the essence of salvation, faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him and not your good works, that was always there, brothers and sisters, always there. This text is telling us that. Timothy grew up learning this stuff, so we ought to teach our children. They ought to grow up learning the Bible and that there is salvation. You read through the Old Testament, you read through the Psalms, read through the Proverbs, read through Genesis, and you have a better understanding. If you're taught and instructed well in your churches, you will see grace, you will see salvation, you will see faith. And you can grow thereby, just like Timothy. So it's there for salvation, wise for salvation. It's quite interesting here. To make you wise for salvation. It is only through the Bible that we learn of God's saving grace. It gives us this instruction. It teaches us the greatness of Jesus Christ. The good news is found here in the Bible, not from the wisdom of the world, not from the way they wish to approach God. All the other systems of the world, the philosophies even, I don't, we're not religion, we're atheists, we have no philosophy, but we believe you've got to live your best now. Do your best, do the best things that you can to somehow redeem your time, to somehow make something better. They know things are wrong, they know things are broken. They try to do something else, however, to make things right. The only way to fix things morally is Jesus Christ. It's the only way to be saved, to be delivered from sin, the consequences of sin, and of a guilty conscience. People can deny religion. People can have other religions. They will have guilty consciences. They are fleeing from God. They have no wisdom. They have lies. We have wisdom because we have the word of God, which is God-breathed itself. He believed in what? Jesus Christ, who lived and died for them. You know, not every text and every sentence, just like when you speak, says everything. So when he says here, wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, he's saying faith and trusting in Jesus that he lived and he died for me and for my sins. That's what he's talking about. And that's good news indeed. It's wonderful news. Timothy didn't grow up under the tutelage of a harsh law in the sense of he was called to save himself in the Old Testament. The law had its purpose to be sure that as part of the law, the ceremonial law, But it was the gospel he was raised with, the gracious good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to be saved thereby. The New Testament, the Old Testament, the Bible teaches us what it means to be saved, brothers and sisters. What salvation is about, it gives us wisdom, it explains to us justification, it explains to us sanctification, it explains to us adoption, it explains to us glorification. That's the wisdom of salvation, of deliverance from our sins. It's there in the Bible, and again, in the Old Testament. It's quite amazing. So we have much more fruit in the New Testament. It's smaller, and it says so much more. It's so much more clearer, isn't it? Use both. Both are inspired, and both are given to give us the gospel of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. When you read through the Bible, understand and read them anew with the understanding that God is gracious and covered the sins of the Old Testament church called Israel. And the New Testament church that we just call the church, that now has Jews and Gentiles. And continue to do that. We see that here 
in the mercy he has bestowed upon Timothy and upon us 2,000 years later to read these inspired words and to be encouraged to teach our children that we too can grow up learning the gospel from the Old Testament and all the more from the New Testament and to have wisdom to understand salvation that God is for us who can be against us. That's the wisdom we have and the encouragement and the strength thereby to navigate through life that God is indeed for us. I may make wrong decisions. I may sin. Indeed, I know I will and yet Christ will cover it and bring me to heaven. That's the good news of salvation, the wisdom that we have from the Holy Scriptures inspired from God himself. Praise be to his name. We have this salvation, brothers. It is here before us, here in this teaching and preaching this morning. And God has not left you in the dark. That's his mercy. He gave you his word, and he didn't leave it in doubt, is it really God's word? I'm not sure. Is this really, is there an error here? What's going on here? Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the doubts around there. You have God's breathed word here. And you have salvation full and free. And it's simple, isn't it? Talking to a Jew, reading Old Testament scripture, he doesn't say, wait, make you wise for salvation through good works of the ceremonial law, through circumcision, through obeying the Ten Commandments, but through faith in Jesus Christ, who has done it all for you, paid the penalty for you. That's it. I often tell people, the gospel is not complicated when you get down to it. It's the call of repentance. I'm a sinner. I acknowledge my sins, not just particular sins, but all of me is a mass of sins. And I need a Savior. Jesus Christ, will you save me? I believe you can save me, God. Save me from hell. Bring me to heaven. That's it. Repent and believe. And oftentimes people make it the hardest thing in the world because it is hard to give up this life to follow Jesus. Because that's what you're called to do. To give up your self-righteousness, you're trying to save yourself or do things on your own or whatever it is that you wish to do, not in accordance to God's word. And not trust in Jesus Christ, to rest and rely upon him. That's what we have here. Jesus who saves us, faith in him, trust in him, reliance upon him to bring us to heaven. We are freely saved through faith, that's it. Now, once being saved, you're always saved. Your justification never changes. You never lose your salvation. But you're not just saved from sin. You're saved unto righteousness, right? And so we have the second half of these verses. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Yes, you are saved by faith and faith alone in Christ alone. But it doesn't mean you can now run around and do whatever you feel like. I don't have to do any good works. This is great. I can go to heaven. No, you are born again. You have a new heart. You want to do good works. You're in anguish when you sin. You don't like it. That's the struggle of sanctification, to be sure. So here in the third point, the Bible is profitable. That is, it gives us moral guidance. It's the law. We have the gospel. We have the good news. We are wise into salvation. That's the, the second point. Here, the third point. Not just saved. Yeah, I get to go to heaven. That's great. Good. You're saved unto holiness. You're not saved by works, you're saved unto works. It's another way of saying it. Saved by faith and faith alone. You always have the faith. Even when you're trying to obey, even when you use the moral law of God as a guidance in your life, you're going to stumble and fall. You always go back to Jesus Christ. You always repent. That's just the call and the law of the Christian. You can't get away from it. 
but you will nevertheless strive to obey no matter how often you fall. For the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up because he has the Spirit of God in him, brothers and sisters. The Bible is profitable because it is also the law of God. The Bible has two parts, in other words, as Luther used to say, and Calvin. Law and gospel. The law tells us how to live. The Bible is profitable. Not that it will teach you the best techniques for playing the market and making more money. Not that it will guide you necessarily to the best job and the best skill sets. But it is there to teach you to be morally upright. It's profitable for morality, for obedience, for doctrine, right? For instruction, for reproof, for being corrected, and for instruction in righteousness, where to go in the Christian life. We need that. We need the law of God, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. See that good work. How do you know what good work is without the law of God? It tells you what's right and wrong. The law of God reflects God's righteousness and his will for his people. It is designed, in other words, for our good. The scripture is given. It is profitable. It is good. It has good things for us, brothers and sisters. It teaches us. The first word there is doctrine. I know doctrine is often an ugly word for some Christians in some circles, but it's simply just this word, a teaching. It is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. We have to learn something. We have to be instructed in something because we're ignorant of the Bible. You don't grow up with the Bible. And even if you do grow up with the Bible, that is in a Christian home, because someone instructed you in the Christian home, your parents. It doesn't come intuitively. You have to have this kind of teaching that is doctrine. What is right? What is wrong? What is God? What is Christ? What is salvation? What is sin? That is teaching. That is doctrine. Without knowledge of the Bible, how can you be saved? Stories don't save you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ will. It teaches or gives doctrine. It also gives reproof and correction. Uh, to me, those are probably overlapping ideas uh, there. It gets emphatic here to describe what's going on here. Now, you can ask yourself, do you like everything about yourself, physically or spiritually? Are there things about you that you think would change or should change? Yeah, I know you are. You're like, I wish I would stop doing this. I wish I could uh, eat better diets or something like that. How are you going to change? You don't like it. You know you want to change it. What's going to happen? You need correction, right? You need someone to correct you. Sure, you can try to correct yourself, but you know, you kind of bias against yourself or for yourself or how you want to look at that. So you know you need other people. And the Bible is that other person, as it were. It's there for reproof and correction. You read it and it reproves you. And it says, you are doing it wrong. You need to repent. This is not the way to live as a Christian. And of course, other Christians who wield the word of God as the sword of the spirit and gently pokes you or skewers you. That's what that idea is here of reproof and of correction. The Word of God is here for that. It's not here always to make you feel happy or to feel good. There's a time to feel happy, yes. There's a time to feel good, sure. The Bible's there for that. It makes you wise for salvation, verse 15. But here it also reminds us the Bible cuts and is sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder of thought and intent. Use it carefully, but use it. Use it judicially in your life and for one another, especially in your household and your close friends. But use it, you must. It's fine to have all the doctrine in the world, to memorize the Westminster Catechism, the larger, the shorter catechism, Westminster Confession, but you have to apply it, you have to use it, you have to be corrected by the Word of God. An instruction for righteousness. The idea of fatherly discipline, of correction with direction. Not just that was bad, but here, let me show you a better way of living as a Christian. It's being more honest with yourself. This is what the Word of God is here for. Not your feelings. Not vague impressions, but the word of God. God breathed. 
right here that you can read, that a child can read many portions of the Bible and understand there's a God and there's sin. And there's a way, right way and a wrong way of doing things and of thinking and of speaking as a Christian. That's the law of God and it's here to direct and guide us so that we can be more holy like Jesus. It's how everyone learns. We all learn this is right, this is wrong. It's not a Christian thing, really, in that sense. But humans do it. We all need to do it. And the Bible is here to give us the right direction away from the wrong direction. Instruction in righteousness, that is, correction with direction. Not this, but going over there, brothers and sisters. This is what we're called to do, to have words of comfort, words of instruction, words of correction, or whatever it is we need with our mouth, with our hands, and with our feet. God is good, brothers and sisters, and we know that because he gave us his word. Right here, the holy, God-breathed Bible. Learn the word. Family readings, repetition, research, study on your own. Ask your pastor or pamphlets. Teach the word, that is, instruct one another, especially your children your grandchildren. From what you know, you who have been in Christians for a long time have something to say. And live the word of God by his grace through encouragement for one another exhorting one another, again, in accordance to the word of God, that it's here to equip us for every good work, both the gospel and the law. The Bible, it is God-breathed, and it's salvation-oriented, and it's profitable for godliness, for our holy living. Let us meditate on these truths. Let us act upon these truths. Let us read the Bible as a letter from our Lord God above, a letter of his love for us, a letter of how to live in light of that love a profitable, godly life. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for your word. And as we see here, and we know in many other passages of the word of God, but so much here in these verses in 2 Timothy 3, have we have the holy scriptures, not profane scriptures, but special words of God that are God-breathed and are profitable. We learn of salvation, and we learn of godliness. Help us, God, to grow thereby, to be encouraged, to stand firm, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.